Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another exciting episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything that's happening in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. And y'all, I am excited about a couple of the weird stories that I have to share with y'all this week. It is uh, it is not a conventional Zoo News episode, although we are getting back to our normal format after last week's look at the AZA conference. I, I want to say thanks again to Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross and to Katie Prop of Penguins International for um, being total rock stars and being amazing guests and just... Uh, you know, helping share what that experience was like. They were really awesome. Um, and before I move on, I just really quickly wanted to kind of, you know, share with you what the rest of the conference was like. It was awesome. Okay, that's what it was like. No, I'm kidding. So the the day after we stopped recording, we had a whole nother day of going to cool, you know, little sessions and a big, big group session in the morning. And they they fed us lunch and did the AZA awards uh, for the year. And um, Elena Bell, our, our good friend at Akron, uh, won for the best marketing campaign for the uh, facilities with a budget of under $8 million annually um, for her new Wild Asia uh, campaign that she did to promote that area, which included, oh, I don't know, an episode of the Rossafari podcast. It was so cool to see Elena win that and to know that uh, I got to be just a, a small part of, of her strategy for that success. So it's, it's really cool to see these things happening time and again. Um, you know, the podcast keeps growing and building the, the community and I love it. And then, yeah, I won. If you were wondering, I did win the silent auction that I bid way too much on, uh, for red panda stuff. And it was awesome. I, I got a red panda, uh, network tote bag and a mask and, uh, 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 a red panda puppet and uh, a, a red panda keychain and another red panda keychain and a bookmark and a pencil and it was totally worth spending ninety dollars on cough cough no but seriously it was it was cool and it goes to a good cause because all of this was for the safe programs which we love so yeah uh and then that was a great day and it was lots of fun and um i i did some recording for y'all so that's exciting and then the last day of the conference featured yet another episode being recorded I got there at 7.15 in the morning to record an episode, y'all. You should be proud of me. That is not a time I normally see. And uh, then, then we did a few more, you know, little sessions. And then it was off to the Maryland Zoo for Zoo Day. And we talked about this already on the that episode, but in case you didn't hear or whatever, the Zoo Day thing is they closed the zoo for the day, and it's just open to conference attendees, and we get to go behind the scenes and do cool stuff, and um, suffice to say, it was awesome, and I really love the Maryland Zoo. And and that was the rest of that episode, uh, had we recorded it after the full conference, in two minutes. So, yay. 
All right, so we're doing a quick format change uh, to the episode for this week, just slightly. Uh, It's going to be the same as always, except I'm going to start with other news. Uh, What happens a lot of the times is um, I do zoo news, then conservation news, then other news. And by the time I get to other news, I really only have time for one story. And and sometimes I feel like I don't even do them justice. And uh, there are a couple of really interesting stories in other news this week. And I'm I'm pretty tickled about one of them. So I'm just going to start with that. And uh, then we'll we'll go and do zoo news and conservation news in whatever order I feel like in the moment. Uh, yeah, so that's how that's going to work. Make sure you're following along uh, at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. You can support the pod, patreon.com slash Rossafari. You guys know the drill. All right, let's get to this thing. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now it's time. It's time for other news. It's a segue to the podcast news. All right, y'all. So the whole reason we're starting with other news is because of this story. And it's not a deep story. It's goofy, but it just really tickled me. I have been thinking about this all week. So y'all may recognize the name Peppermint Narwhal. They are a company that makes lots of cool animal stuff. They do pins. They do the uh, Animal Holidays calendar that I use for the Animal Holidays segment of this episode. Uh, they they post really cool memes. They just they do lots of really good stuff. I love Peppermint Narwhal. However, our friends at Peppermint Narwhal woke up on International Primate Day and chose violence. I'm just going to read you their post. Happy International Primate Day. Here is a fun primate fact that might surprise you from our All But Not All series. All apes are monkeys, but not all monkeys are apes. Excuse me? Now, I am sure that just about every one of you had the same reaction that I did, which is, well, that's not right. We know that's not right. As a matter of fact, we constantly tell people that the way you tell the difference between monkeys and apes in an easy way is that monkeys have tails and apes do not. Y'all have heard primate keepers on this very podcast saying that very thing. Well, okay, let's read the rest of the post and, and see what they say. Okay, so getting back to what they said, they said, While monkey is not a scientific term, it is used commonly and essentially can be argued that it is a synonym for the infraorder simiforms, which includes monkeys and apes. So the Sumatran orangutan is both a monkey and an ape, while the papalanger is certainly a monkey, but not an ape. Well, as you can imagine, this post created a lot of controversy. Um... Again, we already talked about the whole tail thing, and uh, it wasn't just, you know, normal people, though, who got into this conversation. There was a full-on brawl happening in the comments section. You know, we, we've talked about trolling on the internet a little bit and about how um, anti-captivity people will troll zookeepers and zoos and how annoying it is. Turns out our community has some very trollish people in it as well. As well as, of course, a lot of well-intentioned people just trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Um, But the battle actually formed 
between primatologists who follow peppermint narwhal and were very offended by this idea, and then a group of people known as cladisticians. Okay, now, cladistics is something that I had to look up. And basically, the long story short is that um, cladisticians uh, use a method of classification of animals and plants according to the proportion of measurable characteristics that they have in common. It is assumed that the higher the proportion of characteristics that two organisms share, the more recently they diverged from a common ancestor. And a part of this theory and this way of thinking is that you never stop being what you were beforehand, okay? So in this case, the cladisticians were arguing that because apes came along in an evolutionary line that started as monkeys, basically, I'm, I'm giving a very simple thing here, there were charts and graphs and all kinds of stuff in the comment section, um, they still are monkeys. So apes came from monkeys, thus apes are monkeys. And this led to a really interesting debate and discussion on whether that makes sense or not. One of the primatologists in the group was like, wait a minute, but we all came from primordial fish. So does that mean that we're all fish? LOL. And I was like, LOL, indeed, my friend. And the uh, cladisticians responded with, yes, we are all fish. Um, so that's that's the kind of thing that for me personally, this is why I struggle with taxonomy and and apparently with cladistics and all that kind of stuff, because I think that is stupid. <laughs> I, I don't I don't that that's, that's simplistic. I do understand how it can help you see the overall evolutionary picture and why that can matter in science. With that being said, I also think that it is a bit obtuse to say that we are fish right now. As a matter of fact, the only comment that I put on this thread that was really like getting nasty, like these people were going at each other and picking on each other. It, it honestly felt like one of those threads. Marvel announces a new female superhero show or movie and all of the incels online start complaining about it and being idiots. Um, they, they, they were being nicer than that in this group, but not, not by a lot, honestly. Um, <laughs> something else to read. But yeah, so I ended up putting a comment where I said, look, knowledge is knowing that we are all fish. And wisdom is not trying to breathe underwater. And I feel like many people in this thread would end up drowning if they ever got in a pool. But yeah, I just I just think the whole conversation is kind of ridiculous. And it's really crazy to see members of the scientific community. And I did. I went. I looked at some of their profiles on Facebook, the people that were commenting and stuff. And they really are. They're primatologists and they are cladisticians and they are just going at it and arguing about this. And um, oh, it just it made me so happy to see a scientific comments section of that type. The post is still up on Peppermint Narwhal's page, and, uh, you know, I normally say stay out of the comments section, but th this one might be worth diving into for y'all. Also, if you have a theory or, or thoughts about, you know, thinking about classification that way, share them with me. I'm, I'm always curious to hear opinions and thoughts. 
Now for a less silly but still interesting story, a new ordinance has been passed in Keystone, Ohio, and the purpose of this ordinance is to protect human beings, livestock, and domesticated animals from the perils of dangerous and vicious animals within the confines of Benton County, Iowa, and to protect animals from the dangers of abuse, cruelty, and neglect, according to the ordinance. So, uh, this ordinance now bans the following animals from being privately owned in this area. Lions, tigers, jaguars, leopards, cougars, lynx, bobcats, wolves, wolf-dog hybrids, coyotes, coyote-dog hybrids, foxes, jackals, badgers, wolverines, weasels, skunks, mink, raccoons, bears, monkeys, chimpanzees, bats, alligators, crocodiles, scorpions, venomous snakes, constrictors, gila monsters and pit bulls. While the first thing that stood out to me on this ordinance is the fact that they list monkeys and chimpanzees, but we just learned that apes are monkeys and therefore that is redundant. (laughs) The, The real issue here is that they are listing pit bulls as a thing that you can't own. That is being compared to alligators and lions and chimps and wolverines and what the hell is going on? This whole notion that pit bulls are somehow evil is such a problem. It's it's really unfair. And this ordinance is just telling the owners that they have three days to get rid of their beloved dogs. Three days. They they passed it right before the holiday weekend and uh, tried to make it go into effect during the holiday weekend. And then the dogs just have to be gone. So I'm going to keep an eye on this and try to find updates. We all know that doesn't go super well all the time. But yeah, if if you're a person who feels like pit bulls are a problem, do more research into this. OK, I know many wonderful pit bulls and I know there are some that are trained problematically, but that's because of the training, not because of the breed. OK, And actually, speaking of the monkey known as the chimpanzee, I'm having so much fun with this, y'all. I actually saw this really cool story this week that really uh, hit home with me because it turns out that chimpanzees communicate with signature drum beats and a signature drumming style, according to scientists. It turns out that chimps will use huge tree roots as a large wooden surface to drum on with their hands and feet. And uh, the, the roots are, I guess, slightly hollow. And so it's actually a really resonant sound, um, a very deep sound, kind of like a, a kick drum or, or maybe even a... Um, Uh, like a bass drum, like you would see an orchestral bass drum. And uh, it makes this big, deep, booming sound that can travel throughout the forest. Uh, When scientists were studying the chimps that were doing it, they were actually able to figure out which chimp was drumming based on the sound once they got used to it. Now, that's something very similar. I can basically always tell you when some of my favorite drummers are on a track. I could hear a track I've never heard before. I don't know who the drummer is. And I will be like, oh my goodness, listen to the those symbols that is clearly Tony Williams or oh my goodness listen to the way those fills are a little stuttery at the top that is Ringo Starr it's it's a thing and you're not always right but you usually are but the fact that these signature beats were so unique that scientists were able to say oh that must be you know whatever chimp and then go and look and be like hey look there's that chimp playing the drums that is freaking amazing. And because the scientists were able to tell who was doing the drumming, uh, the, the assumption is that that's part of why the chimps do this, because obviously if we can figure that out, uh, so can the chimps. So all of the chimps that they studied have their own different signature beats. They also will vocalize during them, but at different times. So that is also unique. 
And the lead researcher on this study, who is a PhD student named Vesta Eliuteri from the University of Vienna, uh, actually says that the beats, some of them are really regular, like a rock beat or a blues beat, while a lot of them have variable rhythms with improvisation like jazz drumming. This is the coolest thing ever. It is currently being hypothesized that this may also answer one of the biggest questions that uh, chimp communication researchers have had for a long time. It's known that chimpanzees will greet each other, but it has always appeared as though there is no farewell in chimp communication. They wander off and they don't say goodbye and they never really understood why since so much of their other communication It seems similar to what humans do and, and, you know, they greet each other, but it turns out that maybe, maybe the reason why is because even though they're walking away from each other, they're still able to communicate by drumming throughout the forest and they can hear each other from a long distance away. So that's one possibility. Uh, I, I still say goodbye to people, even though I'm going to text them often as I'm walking away. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting thought and chimps are drummers and I'm so excited about this. And then our last story in other news this week is also kind of insane. And it's not actually a news story. It's a history story. Uh, But it just recently came to light again in Salon. Um, And uh, I had never heard of this before, so I thought I would run it by y'all as well. Now, we know that hippos are wildly dangerous animals that live in Africa. Also, if you listen to this podcast, you know that there is a population of hippos that lives in Colombia because uh, Pablo Escobar, the drug kingpin, uh, imported a bunch of animals. And when he was taken down and his animals were sent to zoos, it was decided that it would be too hard to move the hippos to zoos. And so they were just allowed to live in the wild in Colombia, where they are now breeding like crazy and um, causing all kinds of havoc. Well, did you know that there was almost a population of hippos in the wild in Louisiana? Ha <laughs> ha, bet you didn't. All right, so back in 1910, two congressmen who hated each other, hated each other so much and were both serving as spies that they were actually both on orders to assassinate each other, came together to propose the American hippo bill. The basic idea was this. There was a meat shortage in the United States. And on top of that, there is a plant known as the common water hyacinth that was growing out of control in Louisiana, choking off waterways and killing the fish in the water by soaking up oxygen in the water. Uh, This was having major impacts on the Louisiana bayous. And as such, um, the representative for that area, along with another one, proposed importing hippos from Africa to set loose in the wilds of Louisiana. (laughs) I've read the article multiple times and I've done some other research into this and it still makes me laugh to say those words. We almost had Louisiana hippos. Now, there are a bunch of questions here, but the big one is why? 
And the thought was that the hippos would eat the hyacinths and would breed and would be allowed to be hunted once their population was established. And they are really big, so they make a lot of meat. So the people in Louisiana would have a way to work around the meat shortage and the water hyacinths would get eaten, meaning there would be more fish. So fishing would come back to the area and this would just save everyone from all the issues. And yay! Yep, yep, hippos. As a matter of fact, former President Theodore Roosevelt approved of this plan and pushed for it. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, you're thinking this is insane, but you're also probably thinking, yeah, okay, so people proposed a bill. People propose bills all the time and nothing ever happens. I hear you. Well, reportedly, this bill fell short of becoming a law by one vote. We were one vote in Congress away from having hippopotamus wildly wandering through Louisiana. I, I just, uh, bio hippos is the coolest idea ever, but yeah, uh, I'm glad this did not happen. It's, it's fun to say, and it would be a fun story, but yikes. Um, also, nobody knows if the hippos would have done well. They, they live in a very hot part of Africa, and in Colombia it is very hot, but uh, Louisiana has winters, y'all, and it gets cold, and no one really knows what would have happened in that situation. Also, who knows what those hippos would have done uh, and who knows how quickly they would have bred. And and yeah, it could be a real situation. So let's be glad this didn't happen. But isn't that an awesome story? I love it so much. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. All right, so we're going to start off with a new thing happening with our friends at Red Panda Network. Uh, they have recently partnered with a group called Charity Miles. Now, this is an app that will enable you to earn money for Red Panda conservation whenever you walk, bike, or run, anytime, anywhere. To get started, uh, go to Red Panda Network's social media pages, find the link, and get started. And this is a great way to uh, help Red Pandas simply by, you know, doing a thing you already do. Oh, and I'll include the link in the show notes as well if you just want to go there and tap it. Some quick good news for humpback whales. Uh, there has recently been an aerial survey done, which is done every year, looking at, um, you know, humpback whale populations and seeing how many mother-calf humpback pairs are around. Now, normally... Each year, this uh, survey sees right around two sightings of the mother-calf pairs, but this year they have seen six so far, and the survey isn't over yet. So uh, that's really exciting news. Don't know if it's a, a fluke or if they're just breeding really well. Get it, fluke, whales, fluke, yay. But um, anyway, uh, it's really good news for humpbacks, which is important because humpbacks are important and need really good news, y'all. The AZA has recently announced the approval of a new SAFE program, which is their Saving Animals from Extinction plan, uh, for African painted dogs. Yay, we like them. Uh, the, the plan is going to work to promote and help save the highly endangered species in question. And um, it, it seems really good. As a matter of fact, at the AZA conference, I got to hear some of the people involved speaking about it a little bit. And uh, they seem like they know what they're doing and, and are really uh, shaping up to have this be a great program. So uh, hopefully this will be something that has a huge impact for those adorable puppies. 
Two pairs of giant panda twins have recently been born at breeding centers in China, which is really good news because even though the species is vulnerable instead of endangered now, there is still a real uh, problem with breeding them. It just doesn't always go really well. And when it does, uh, they often produce a single viable cub, even though one would hope for twins most of the time. So the fact that there have been two pairs of twins born recently is really good news. Uh, the father of one pair has not been announced yet uh, from the breeding center, and it might be something that they're just not saying, but it is also very possible that uh, this was done through artificial insemination, which is something that has become more and more successful with giant pandas over the years. So in general, this is just good news for the continued growth of the giant panda population. They may not be the original panda, they may not be as cool as red pandas, but we still love giant pandas on this podcast. And finally this week in conservation news, um, there's a new movie coming out called Gigi and Nate. And it's the story of a person who had a um, capuchin monkey serving as a uh, service monkey for them. And uh, it, it, the movie features a, a live capuchin um, acting as the capuchin, not as the human, um, and wearing clothes and all kinds of stuff. And it's this is kind of a tough conversation because it is a true story, but it's also really important to um, you know make sure that things have moved on. In the world, uh, you cannot have a service uh, monkey anymore. The ADA stopped uh, certifying them back in 2010. And um, just so many studies uh, have been done that prove that um, there are just detrimental effects to all primates when they are seen in unnatural settings and especially when they are seen wearing clothing. Uh, studies also show that movies like this increase humans' desire to have primates as personal pets which obviously is also a big problem. Uh, so I, I, I can totally see why people wanted this story out there and they thought it would be an adorable movie. And, you know, if you are a lover of animals, I could see why you'd want to go and see this movie. It's a true story and yay. But uh, I wish the filmmakers would have taken the time to consider the consequences of putting a movie out into the world uh, that can actually have a real problem for the conservation of the species. Uh, so hopefully uh, the movie bombs. If you are listening to this, I ask that you not go see it. And hopefully there's enough of a backlash to this concept that uh, we stop seeing live primates wearing human clothing and such in uh, Hollywood movies. Y'all, it has been really weird doing this episode backwards for me. I'm curious if you found it weird uh, as you were listening to it or if it was more normal for you, but uh, it was very weird for me. Anyway, so now we are at Zoo News, and of course, I am legally required to start with the announcement of the birth of not one, not two, but six Baby red pandas, also known as pandlets, right? <laughs> um, in the last two and a half months at a zoo in Darjeeling. 
Uh, this is the Naidu Himalayan Zoological Park, and they have had three red panda breeding pairs all give birth to twins that seem to be thriving. Six new red pandas. My mind is blown, and I'm going to end the episode right here because I need to hop my flight to Darjeeling. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, I am so excited about this, and uh, in a population that desperately needs every new animal, six is a lot from one facility. That's This is astonishing. It's also important because Darjeeling is one of the zoos that is currently working on reintroducing certain pandas into the wild, and they plan on releasing three pandas into the wild this year because they now have such a stable population at their zoo. So this is just amazing all around. Yay, red pandas. Now, at the recent AZA conference that I was at, I'm still just just going from that, uh, the AZA announced the facilities that were granted accreditation or reaccreditation uh, this year. They include two new members, the Bailey Matthews National Shell Museum and the Wonders of Wildlife Aquarium. If that name is ringing a bell and you're not sure why, that's the aquarium that is owned by Bass Pro Shops and that uh, won that USA Today uh, contest for best aquarium in the country. And I was like, man, this thing isn't even accredited. Well, now it is, so that's cool. I, I still want to go check it out, uh, more so now, actually. But um, it, it's cool to see that they went for that accreditation. Uh, there are also... Um, a few facilities that were granted um, certification, meaning that they are not accredited facilities because they're not zoos or aquariums, but they do take care of animals and such. And uh, that includes Rivendale Wildlife Sanctuary, who is a new member. So real quick, uh, here is the list of everyone who got accredited or reaccredited. <gasps> Bailey Matthews National Shell Museum, Birmingham Zoo, Brandywine Zoo, Buffalo Zoo, Capron Park Zoo, David Trailer Zoo of Emporia, Detroit Zoo, Great Plains Zoo, Lake Superior Zoo, Lee Richardson Zoo, Little Rock Zoo, Oregon Zoo, Red River Zoo, Rolling Hills Zoo, Scoville Zoo, Sea Life Aquarium at Legoland, California, Sea Life, Michigan, Sea World, San Antonio, Trevor Zoo, Turtleback Zoo, Wildlife Safari, The Wilds, Wonders of Wildlife, and the applicants for certification are the Duke University Lemur Center, Endangered Wolf Center, and Rivendale Wildlife Sanctuary. Yay. Sorry to anybody who listens to this at an already faster rate because that was probably a lot. This week, Roger Williams Park Zoo had to close on uh, September 6th because of intense rains and flooding. However, all animals and staff were safe and they were able to get everything taken care of and reopen the next day. Uh, when something like that happens, it takes such a coordinated effort of, of staff and volunteers and people who are going into slightly uncertain, you know, I mean, the zoo keeps them safe, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, it's a little scary to be at a place that was flooded and, and try to get it all fixed up. Um, for those who have been listening for a while, I, I, I helped when that happened at Elmwood Park Zoo and it was possibly the hardest physical labor I've ever done in my life. So uh, to everyone at Roger Williams Park Zoo, congrats on doing amazing work and getting the zoo back up to the incredible standard that you keep it all at. And nice job keeping everyone, human and non-human, safe during flooding. Y'all are amazing. Speaking of amazing, uh, I've mentioned before that 
Adventure Aquarium has started doing sensory-friendly nights at the aquarium and how amazing of an experience it is. And uh, it seems like more places are getting the idea to do that. Uh, just this week alone, Brandywine Zoo, a Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, and Mystic Aquarium have all announced that they are going to be doing sensory-friendly evenings at their facilities. I think this is awesome. Uh, inclusion is so important, and um, I'm just I'm really impressed to see this become more of a thing. It's really cool. Uh, on a side note, the president and CEO of Mystic Aquarium is stepping down, and it'll be interesting to see how that transition goes. But uh, it doesn't seem like it's anything untoward. It just, you know, sometimes people move on. So no worries there, but good to mention. And speaking of director-type roles, uh, the Buttonwood Park Zoo has announced that Gary Lunsford will be the new director of zoological services for the city of New Bedford. Uh, he has worked at the Milwaukee County Zoo as the director of animal management and health and also served in multiple other positions at different institutions uh, throughout not just the country, but the world. Uh, he's going to be working on a new master plan for Buttonwood Park Zoo, and uh, I have the feeling that this is going to be a great steady hand to lead Buttonwood Park into their future. Okay, everyone, this is your official warning. I kind of did it this way on purpose. Uh, all of the rest of the stories in Zoo News here suck, okay? We just have a bunch of bad stories, and we're just going to hit them. They start mild, they get rough. So let's just get to it. This one's very mild. It's really only rough for, for me and a few other people. But the Columbus Zoo, don't worry, it's not a big deal, uh, has announced that they are going to be adding new habitats to their Australia and the islands region, which means that the Roadhouse Nocturnal Building is now closed and will stay closed through early 2023. This is only a big deal because the Columbus Zoo is the only zoo in the country that has my, my million-dollar quartet of animals, red pandas, sea turtles, binturongs, and tree kangaroos. And the bints and tree kangaroos live in the Roadhouse Nocturnal Building. I'm going to be at the Columbus Zoo very soon, and I'm not going to get to see half of my favorite animals. And I am whiny, and I, I, I'm going to whine to you guys. So, yeah, like I said, that one's not a big deal. But, uh... Yeah, I'm going to miss those little goobers. Sad, sad, sad. Anyway, uh, moving on in the sad story area, the Bristol Zoo has announced it is closing after 186 years of continual operation. The Bristol Zoo is, or was, the fifth oldest zoo in the world, and the animals there are being moved to a much larger out-of-town site that's only five miles away from that zoo, uh, while others are being shipped to zoos across the world. The land that had been the zoo will then be developed for housing. Um, so yeah, that's cool, question mark? Yeah, that doesn't make me sad at all. The zoo is closing because they didn't have the finances to keep operating at a high level, and selling off the site, which is considered prime development land, is going to help pay off debts and everything, uh, and make things a little bit better for the zoological society there. So it's, it's really sad, uh, but, you know, they built a small zoo in the middle of a town that is now thriving, and uh, these things happen sometimes. So goodbye, Bristol Zoo. 
There's a really sad story out of Turtleback Zoo in Essex County, New Jersey. Um, there was a uh, behavior watcher at the sea lion exhibit, just kind of, you know, tracking what they do, as, as behavior watchers do, when one of the sea lions, Zeus, just stopped moving and abruptly dropped to the bottom of the pool. Uh, up to that point, Zeus had been behaving completely normally, eating, training with the animal care team, etc., and uh, he was gone dead they uh they lost him they did everything they could to to try to save and then revive zeus but uh zeus passed away unexpectedly just in the middle of a swim the zoo announced that there will be a necropsy and that they will uh release the results once they find out what happened but as of now it is just a mystery and uh sadly the keepers at that zoo lost an absolutely beloved animal our condolences to everyone at turtleback zoo now, two weeks ago, I brought you the news that the Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary in Georgia has been having all kinds of issues, including the uh, the birds that died there of uh, the avian influenza outbreak and also other stuff going on. And it has now been announced that the facility will have to stay closed for at least five months. Uh, this is going to help contain the spread of avian influenza and also hopefully have them figure out, you know, what else is going on there with the issues that we discussed in a previous episode. Uh, so, yeah, many of the birds have finally been quarantined and we'll see what happens over the next five months with this story. But at least they're closed down and, and trying to address the bird situation. So I guess that's good, even though also the story is just sad. A gray wolf escaped its exhibit at the Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo recently, and although it was quickly contained and the zoo was able to figure out how it got out of its exhibit, this is still a big concern. We can't have wolves wandering around AZA-accredited facilities, so hopefully Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo is able to address this situation and, uh, you know, not lose any more wolves into the park. The chimp is named Chi-Chi, and uh, Chi-Chi broke out of the zoo and was followed around by zoo employees who were attempting to convince Chi-Chi to return. Uh, Chi-Chi actually went back to them when it started raining and uh, collected a jacket, which Chi-Chi wanted to wear and the staff helped wear. And uh, then they put Chi-Chi on a bicycle and the staff walked holding the bicycle and took her back to the zoo. Um, now, this is one of the zoos in the areas where the Russians are shelling like crazy and a lot of these zoos are struggling. So I'm not going to mock or make fun of this situation. Um, I'm not going to lie and say that it wasn't adorable to see pictures of a chimp wearing a raincoat on a bicycle being taken back to a zoo. Um, but it's also astonishing to think that these zookeepers were just hands on and like helping a chimp get dressed and then walking the chimp's bike back to the zoo. Um, and also, you know, chimps escaping is always a bad idea. And this also goes into the thing we talked about in conservation news, where now there are more pictures of chimpanzees wearing human clothing and riding bicycles out in the world. So y'all, I don't love this one, but again, things are pretty rough in Ukraine right now. And, uh, you know, I can, I can understand how things can happen there sometimes. And then last but not least in the zoo news area of the podcast, um, y'all, 
I swear, I swear I am not coming at this zoo, but my goodness, there has been a lot of really bad and sad news coming out of Henry Villas Zoo in Wisconsin recently. Okay, I promise I'm not just attacking because they have my buddy Bandit. In fact, I want my buddy Bandit to have an amazing life there, uh, and so I would prefer them not keep making zoo news in bad ways. But we've already talked about the fact that last year the director got in trouble for potentially sexually harassing an employee at the AZA conference. Uh, We've talked about the fact that there are all kinds of concerns about welfare and diversity stuff, and there's an external investigation going on with results expected in October. Now, I will tell you that Ty, a 14-year-old red panda who they recently announced had cancer at the zoo, has passed away. Okay, I realize that this is not controversial and that, um, you know, these things happen. Animals get cancer. I'm sure the vet staff did everything that they could to make Ty as comfortable as possible. But it's just, this is one of those, when it rains, it pours things. Um, You know, Ty was a wonderful animal and beloved and is now gone on top of everything else. And I, I wouldn't even say that that's harping on the zoo, except I'm not, I'm not done yet. Uh, It turns out that there was also a study that was launched internally back in 2021 by the zoo uh, to look at their diversity and inclusion uh, efforts. And uh, the, the results are in, and the study says that the zoo needs to make nine major changes to how they are handling things. Keep in mind, this is a different investigation than the external investigation that uh, I mentioned in previous episodes and touched on briefly just now. So this is just, you know, I want to see them grow and I want things to be better and that's cool, but this is this is just... This is just further proof that things are not great at Henry Villas Zoo right now, which is a zoo that I, I loved going to. And it's it's causing me such agita seeing what is happening there right now. Needing to make nine major changes is, is a lot, especially with another major investigation happening with results coming in in less than a month. So uh, please get it together. Henry Villas Zoo uh, management. And also, if you know or are a keeper at Henry Villas Zoo and you're listening to this, please know that I know and my listeners know that you all are great, okay? The staff is probably amazing, and this is just uh, a few bad actors at the top causing all these issues. Um, so all love to all the staff there. I know y'all are doing amazing work, and and condolences for the, the loss of time. Um, on a lighter note, and to end with a little more fun for Henry Villas Zoo, uh, I did have to laugh. Um, they they recently, on their official uh, blue checkmarked Twitter page, put out a tweet. It said, animals. That's all it said. Lowercase, animals. Nothing else. Um, this, this just kind of made me chuckle. I actually responded and I said, hey, everyone okay over there? I don't think this is what people meant when they said they want to see more animals on your social media page. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey! All right, and that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. Keep in mind that September is Save the Koala Month. And after everything that's gone on in Australia in the last couple of years, they need to be saved. All right, so we are starting off with uh, September 11th, which is National Bilby Day. 
And then the 13th is National Mountain Chicken Frog Day. And to be clear, there are no commas there. There is something called a mountain chicken frog that gets its own day. This isn't a day for celebrating mountains, chickens, and frogs. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, so there you have it, folks. Rossafari Zoo News is in the books for another week. I'd like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron, and remind y'all that you can support the pod by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. Also, I'd like to say thanks to everybody who contributed stories for the last two weeks since I, uh, you know, skipped out on stories last week to do the AZA conference thing. Thank you to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Laura Shank, Andrew King, Kevin Williams, Michael Sebastian, Jacob Newman, Dylan Hoy, Crystal Chapman, and Emily Rockbuck. I'll see y'all back here on Tuesday. And remember, folks, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.